Okay, you've got a handout over here, and it talks about organizational personal lessons learned at uh, the 2017 New York City Marathon. And if you could take that and, and uh, turn, over, turn over the back. Um, let me just tell you a little bit, set this up a little bit. Um, uh, in November 5th, I ran the uh, New York City Marathon, and you say, well, why would you do that? Well, number one, it was a bucket list because it's the, it's the largest marathon in the world. Over 50,000 people run in it. And um, second of all is that I had run some other historical cities. I'd run a marathon in Athens, uh, Greece, not Georgia, uh, Athens, Greece, and I ran one in Jerusalem. And so you take these cities that have uh, historical importance, New York City falls right there. And our church is the lead church for the Southern Baptist Convention in church planning in New York City. We're one of the lead churches. But then the main reason is, is the church gave me this as my 20th anniversary. Uh, Jeremy Grime had told him it's something I wanted to run, and so the church came and, and gave us the funds to go and stay at a hotel there in Central Park and fly me up there and, and give me a few days there and, and to be able to run it. So it worked out, it worked out great. It's interesting with the New York City Marathon, it started in 1970. So you think back, that's like, what, 46 years or 47 years ago. And at the very first New York City Marathon, there were 127 people, and the entry fee was $1. You pay $1, you get to run the marathon, 127 people did that. This past year, we had over 50,000 runners, and the entry fee is $295, so it has grown. So what does it look like? You see, David, I think we got the slide of in, uh, this race, 51,307 started running, and the finishers, 50,773. Let me tell you what's amazing. It's 98.9%, okay, 98.9% uh, finished. I wrote down here the average that I have done, I've looked at other races, 80 to 90%, and 90 is really high, probably 80, 85% finish. They make a big deal about it. If you get out here and you start, we want to make sure you finish. And they have a lot of volunteers out there encouraging you uh, to do that, even stories of people that have helped them and, and carried people to parts of the, of the course just to help them to make it to the finish. So that is amazing there. Uh, there were finishers from all 50 states. There were representatives from 139 countries. The oldest man finishing, 82 years of age. Oldest woman finishing, Women live longer, 84. All right. So uh, the, they told me that the man was chasing the woman, and that's why she ran really fast. So, uh, so she, her, I think her time was better than his and just kept on going. So, so that's what it looks like. Now, what I wanted to help set the stage for you is to show you a video of the course. Now, it's about a minute and a half video that David has sped up. So you got to look pretty fast, but it, the the mystique of the New York City Marathon is that it covers all five boroughs. It'll start in Staten Island, it'll hit uh, Brooklyn, then it'll go to Manhattan, um, excuse me, Brooklyn, it'll go to Queens, it'll cross over the Queensboro Bridge to Manhattan, then you go up into Bronx and come back to Manhattan and you finish at Central Park. And so this is a little bit of an overhead view as to what it would look like. So David, and there's three different colors and don't worry about the colors. You go across the bridge then you hit you hit Brooklyn. As you start running up into Brooklyn, you keep on going, and then Brooklyn will soon turn into Queens. And when it turns into Queens, then you keep on going until you get to the Queensboro Bridge. And you cross that bridge, and you get into Manhattan. And you go all the way up there, and Manhattan will take you all the way up into the Bronx. 
You get up to the Bronx, you run across there, you get to cross another wonderful bridge, and then you start coming down. You go through Central Park, and as you come all the way down Central Park, you will get to the end of Central Park, circle around, come back, and boom, you're there at the finish. That's it. That's the run. Piece of cake uh, on that. So that's, 20, that's 26.2 miles. It's a lot more fun to drive it, uh, but uh, you, could, you could run it. So you start uh, at the Verrazano Narrows Bridge there in Staten Island, and then it just takes you through all uh, of the areas. And uh, it's a beautiful run. It's a lot of fun. Uh, temperatures are about the 50s or so, and it was drizzly a lot of the time. And I think we've got, do you have some, just some pictures of, uh, this was me running. I knew the camera was there, so I smiled. Uh, and then the next picture is, you can see where the rain has been coming. I, I was looking down saying, why am I here? And then I'm coming near the finish. So we're coming around the finish, kind of exhaling, coming around. And then at the very end, this is uh, hands up, coming across the finish line over there, uh, saying, why didn't I beat that girl in front of me? So that was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so I did, I did run that. Uh, I did wear my Auburn shirt, got a few war eagles in there, so it was, uh, it was fun. All right, here we go. Let me, I want you to look at your notes, some organizational principles uh, or some lessons that I learned to pull off the largest ever. If you're ever going to do something where you're going to be like the biggest thing that you've ever done in your organization, how do you pull off like the largest ever? And what they did there, I just pulled some principles from what they did at the New York Marathon. It's the largest ever. How do you translate that into your own business? Number one is this. Cover the essentials from A to Z. You have to cover the essentials from A to Z. If you're ever doing something of a huge scale, you have got to sit down, map it out from A to Z, and cover all the essentials. Uh, I went online, and I saw where uh, one of the organizers of the marathon came up with four of essentials. And then I read that list and I had it typed in and then I added one, uh, a fifth one. And they should contact me because mine is better, I think, than theirs. But uh, this is the one that I added and Jeremy ran this with me and he would, he would okay, he would uh, amen this. Number one, transportation. You got to cover the, the essentials, transportation. Uh, you've got to make sure you know how to get people to and from where uh, at, at different spots. I can just tell you what my morning looked like. I woke up at 5.30 in the morning in my hotel, which is a Central Park. I walked to the subway at 6.30. As I went down the subway, I sat and I waited 30 minutes. The subway came. When I got on the subway, it took me to the Whitehall Station uh, there in Manhattan to where I was going to get on a ferry to get to Staten Island. That's where it started. So it was a 30-minute subway ride. Once I got off the subway, I then walked into the Whitehall Terminal, and it was just people shoulder to shoulder. I waited 30 to 40 minutes to get on the ferry. Then once I got on the ferry, the ferry took me over to Staten Island. That was about a 30-minute ride. Once I got off the ferry, I then got in another shoulder to shoulder group of people standing outside waiting on buses. And it was about another 30-minute wait. You had to get big buses to come. You get on a bus, you take a 30-minute drive, and it takes you to your starting line. And they call these waves, and there are four different waves that you would run from and there was the the red blue orange and green wave and you were assigned a color and so whatever your color was that's where you went some of them started at 9.50, then one at 10.15, one at 10.40, and one at 11 o'clock. So about every 20 minutes there was a new wave of runners uh, that would start at that bridge and run. Transportation, the essentials from A to Z and you had to get this down. If you didn't have the 
if the buses were messing up, people wouldn't have made it there, or the ferries, whatever. The coordination of this was unbelievable. But just so you'll know, I started that journey waking up at 5.30. The first time they shot the gun for me to run was 11 o'clock. So that is, uh, that's a lot of hours. That's five and a half hours uh, of just trying to get ready to run. Number two is this, and that is food. That is food. There has to be fueling during the race. Uh, during the race, uh, people would have uh, some different uh, foods along the way or these goo packs that you would have. But even more importantly was when you came to the end of the race. As soon as you crossed the finish line, they had a packet of food waiting on you. There was, a, there was some water. There was some Gatorade. There was an apple. There was like a power bar and then some pretzel things. There was some things for you to begin to uh, refuel, and they had to have that ready for you as soon as you crossed the finish line. Number three, which you would say would be a necessity as water. They had hydration stations all along the course. About every mile and a half or so, there were huge hydration stations on both sides of the road. You have 50,000 people running down these roads, and they're coming in different waves. And so you've got to have uh, water stations on all sides of the road, water and also Gatorade. And you would have large groups of people that were handing all this out. And you say, well, Danny, that's just a, a given on that. Well, most of you know my story. The very first marathon I ever ran was Atlanta, Georgia. It was the hottest day in the history of Atlanta on that day, March 29th. And, uh, and they ran out of water at the beginning. And so they were supposed to have a water station at mile two. There was no water station. They were supposed to have it at mile four. There was no water station. They were supposed to have water station at six. There was no water. And finally, when you got to seven or eight, they finally had some water. That was a little tough uh, for the ones that were running through there. They just kind of dropped the ball. So here they had everything covered. Number four is safety and especially on this race. Um, uh, for this, uh, for them, what they want to do safety is they have medical stations that are set up around the course. And I found out that they had a defibrillator machine in an ambulance that was riding along the course. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm glad they didn't tell me that beforehand. And then at the end of the race, they had a medical tent at the end to take care of medical needs. So you've got to take care of safety. And the very last thing is shelter, what they call shelter. And what they mean by shelter is what you wear and what you wear. And uh, since it started early in the morning, it was colder in the morning than it would be when you run in the afternoon. So you may want to bundle up while you're waiting for your start time, but you don't want to run in those heavy of clothes. So what they did was they gave a bag check to where you could come, take those clothes out, put it in a bag. Uh, they would take it by UPS, uh, delivery service, and then they would deliver it to the finish line. And when you finished at the end, you'd go to a bag pickup and you'd pick up your clothes or uh, iPhones or whatever else that you had. However, they also were very smart because some people uh, said, I don't want to even mess with that. So what they did, they had goodwill bins. And you would wear, like I took an old T-shirt that, uh, that I didn't want to take home with me, and so it kept me warm while I waited. And then when it came time for the race, I took the T-shirt off and just put it in the Goodwill bin. And so they had tons of people that were donating good clothes uh, to the Goodwill. And just, again, another way of tying all of this together. But they took care of your clothing. And when you finished the race, uh, it started getting cold because it had been raining, and they had big ponchos that they would give you, and you could wrap up and stay warm as you uh, continued uh, to finally get to your house. So the essentials, you got to do it from A to Z. Number two here, put together a large effective team. If you're doing something for the, the most ever, the largest ever, both those words are key. It's got to be large 
because it's something bigger than you've ever done before, and yet it's got to be effective. The Mercedes Marathon, I went online trying to figure out how many volunteers we have here in Birmingham, and all I could see was they said hundreds of volunteers. Okay, the Mercedes Marathon that we run right here in Birmingham, hundreds of volunteers. At New York City, for the New York City Marathon, 12,000 volunteers. How would you like to coordinate 12,000 volunteers? 12,000 volunteers throughout the week, 10,000 on race day. 10,000 volunteers, and they've got to be good at what they do, and, um, and you've got to put together this team. Number three is this, have an energized team with almost flawless execution. Have an energized team with almost flawless execution. If you're trying something that's the biggest you've ever done it, you best be having people that are jacked up about it. You want people that are fired up. You don't want those volunteers that go, I really wanted to do something else today, but I'm going to be here. So glad you're here. You know, No, you want people that have bought into the vision that are energized, all right? And these were every volunteer. And no matter what they were doing, we got buses over here. Yay! Uh, we got water. We got Gatorade. And they're constantly encouraged you, everything that they did. I don't know how they did that. There was not a grumpy Gus in any of the groups. I mean, everyone was a happy person. And so uh, you energize them with flawless execution. If you drop the ball in any of those five essentials, just think how catastrophic that would be. If we didn't get the hydration system, oops, we didn't get the food like we're supposed to. Well, you know, the ferry, we forgot to line up the, the Staten Island Ferry. All these type of things, it has to be just perfect. Number four is this. This is what I love about what they do, and this is what sets them apart. Unite passion and community spirit. Unite passion and community spirit. If you're trying to do something that's largest ever, you want it to be bigger than just your organization, but bring in the community and ignite the passion about that. What they did was they said, this marathon is going to run through all five boroughs. And so when it says we're going to run through all five boroughs, they coordinated and organized two sets of teams in every borough. One was called an entertainment team, and the other was a cheering team. And they would set up entertainment of venues as you would run. They'd have bands out there. They had choirs singing. They had entertainment all along the way. And then all along the way, they had cheering zones to where people would come out and it's raining and they are just stacked in there uh, just like sardines. And they're yelling and they're cheering. This is 26.2 miles. And every time you went through one of the boroughs or you came up through Manhattan, all that, there's always a crowd of people that's there. They're cheering. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. And some of those people have been standing out there for hours, but they're still excited to be cheering for you. So that was a real key to that. The whole community bought into the vision, and they were willing to stand in the rain to cheer thousands of runners. Number five, over-communicate. Over-communicate. I think it was in June, all right, you, you got a, uh, it was March is when I found out I got into the race, and shortly after that, I received an email, at least one email every week from the New York Marathon, sometimes twice. I just think about that. That's five, six months. My emails are coming in constantly, and you know what they're doing? They're giving you tips on the run. They're giving you opportunity to buy pre-race uh, clothing. They are uh, telling you about the run, talking about other activities that are going on, letting you know about what has been planned for that weekend. And they're telling you over and over and over and over what you're supposed to do. And then even when you get there, when you go through and you pick up your bag, which you get your shirt on there, they've got all the information that you need there. They over-communicate. 
And that's what you need to do. Over and over, you can't communicate it enough. You just have to keep telling people things over and over and over. Number six, and especially on this particular day, we provide a level of security commensurate with the environment. Provide a level of security commensurate with the environment. As you know, there had been an attack in New York City uh, just right before that, a few weeks uh, before that. The statement that they made is that the level of security at the New York City Marathon is at the highest since 9-11. That was the highest security. And when you walked around, there were New York City policemen, there were National Guard, there were people that were wearing counterterrorism uniforms. Uh, They were everywhere. There were helicopters that were flying over. There were snipers that were on the roof. Uh, when I got on the Staten Island Ferry, I had a, um, uh, a convoy or so of uh, patrol ships, the Coast Guard ships with 50-millimeter guns on there with a man standing at the gun going alongside the ship, the ferry, to make sure it made it to the other, other side. Now, my wife did not go, and she was worried, and she says, ooh, I'm a little nervous about, uh, you know, what's going to Happen over and I said, oh, honey, it's not, nobody's going to do anything crazy. So the very first night, Jeremy and I had dinner with some church planners, and I said goodbye to them. They went left. I went right, and I just stood right there at the street, and I'm just standing there waiting for the light to change. There's a guy in a sweatshirt, and there's two other guys that come up to him, and all of a sudden, this guy grabs him. He kind of puts him in a bear hug, and another guy walks over and says, don't fight him. Let him go, and then two more men come. And there were four policemen that were arresting this guy right in front of me. And, he had, and they were lifting up his uh, sweatshirt. And uh, Neil Bird has taught me, don't sit there and stare. Move on. So I moved on. And I said, hey, buddy, what you got there? And so, uh, so, I, so I called Janice and said, hey, I had a great night tonight. I saw my first arrest. Uh, he goes, no, no. So then the next day, I go and I have dinner the night before. I'm in Central Park, and I'm walking back to the hotel. And what is it? They got a guy in handcuffs that they're carrying back to the car. So I got back to the room and called Jesse. Hey, saw my second arrest. Don't tell me that. So uh, just want to let you know, security was everywhere, and and, uh, you need to do that, and especially in the environment we live. Number seven is this, plan with a purpose. Plan with a purpose. When they were planning to say, you could run 26.2 miles throughout New York, they could have gone anywhere, but they planned to do the five boroughs. It was sort of the mystique of it. And when you crossed the finish line, <laughs> you just thought you were finished, but <laughs> nay, nay, there was more to go. And when you crossed the finish line, you walked for a pretty good while, you got your packet, and they put this little uh, uh, thing over you, and there was a uh, split. And if you had a bag check, you go here. If you didn't have a bag check, Uh, you know, you will go here. You ended up having to walk, they said, a half mile. My hotel was right there by Central Park. I think I walked two miles after running 26.2 just to get to the hotel. But it's all planned with a purpose because they've got to disseminate 50,000 people and get them out of there. But the other part of that is everyone tells you after you've run 26.2 miles, don't sit down. Don't sit down and rest and you really tighten up and it's really bad for you. You need to continue to walk. Well, they forced me into that. And so it was planned with a purpose. But my soreness was not as bad the next day because I had done that walk. And the very last thing is this. Carry out service to the end. You carry out service to the end. If you plan something so big, don't drop the ball at the end, folks. You're right there. And you know what they did? As soon as you cross that finish line, someone is waiting for it. They got one of those little Mylar things. You've seen those little sheets they put over you. I personally, I didn't want it, but it was nice to have it there. And some people grabbed them. Then they said, go over here, and you pick up your, your goodie bag. And so you've got water to drink and Gatorade. And then you began to walk. And just as you're starting to get kind of cold, 
Then they got the ponchos waiting on you. Then they put these ponchos over you, and then you just keep walking. And as you finally get uh, out of Central Park and you begin to uh, head up, uh, I think it may be 7th Avenue, you start heading up this road, all of a sudden, that's where all the friends and family are. And so they've got a gathering place for all friends and family to where you just automatically go right there. And the people that have come to watch you run, they're there to greet you and meet you. The funny thing was the ponchos are a blue, about like your shirt right there, okay? And it's a blue poncho. And so you see all these people with ponchos and some with the hoods up, and they're like 10, 15 deep all walking down the road. And there was a guy behind me who says, looks like some religious cult, doesn't it? <laughs> and it really did. I mean, it was, like, it was like we've come to take over. All right, very last, just some fun stuff, personal takeaways from this, and uh, we'll do this real quick. Number one, expensive hotel is not a guarantee of a strong telephone signal. Just write that down. This is action for you to know. The church put me in the Essex Hotel. It's a very expensive hotel. It's right there at Central Park. And you would think it had every amenity known to man. It does except when you sit in there and I tried to call my wife, I couldn't get a telephone signal. My Wi-Fi signal was so weak that I could get maybe three emails and then it was gone. So I'm in New York City and to be able to call my wife, I've got to go out of the hotel, step outside on the street and then start talking to her from there. That upset me just a tad upset me even more last Wednesday night when I'm meeting with one of our church members who just came back from the Middle East visiting family members who was telling me about her cell phone in the Sahara Desert. And I said, you got a signal? Yeah. And I said, I can't even get it in the hotel. Just wanted to let you know I feel better about this. Number two, all bridges are not created equal. All bridges are not created equal. A bridge in Birmingham, what are we building a bridge over? Does anybody know? train tracks. We're building it over train tracks. You just run over a train track. Our bridges, when you build it over a train track, what is the bridge? It's flat. Their bridges are built over what? Water. And when you build over water, it has to be like this. So the Verrazano Narrows Bridge was four-fifths of a mile. And so that means you go up, and then you come back down. And then you go the Queensboro Bridge, seven-tenths of a mile, where you go up, and then you go down. It just works on your legs uh, doing that. So I just want to let you know, when they told me there were bridges, I didn't think much about it. Silly me, I didn't realize it went over water. And uh, that's a whole different world, just to let you know. Number three here. All right, I'm the marathon Grinch. There's a fine line between encouragement and continuous shrill screaming. There's a fine line between encouragement and continuous shrill screaming. I like to be encouraged as much as anyone, and I love to be an encourager. But I just got to tell you, as you begin to run this route, people, some know how to encourage, some are just shrill screamers, and they either know someone who's running, and they're screaming their name, or they're screaming at us, and they're, and they're ringing bells and blowing horns, and they are just constant. Think of the person who you would most not like to sit next to at a ball game, who's got that shrill voice, and put up with them for 26 miles, okay? I just, just put that in your mind. And, you know, I, I felt like the Grinch, I just got to tell you, even though the bridges were hard, I really enjoyed them because they were quiet. There wasn't anybody standing on the bridge. But it was just after a while, I, in fact, I told Jeremy, I said, just get me out of the crowd, the shrill screaming. Okay, I feel better. Number four is this. Expect unexpected injuries. Expect unexpected injuries. Uh, going into something, you're always feeling like, hey, if something's going to go wrong, this is what's going to go wrong. Let me just tell you, those things probably won't go wrong. This will go wrong. 
I went into that race, looked like a mash unit. Uh, I'd had an Achilles problem on my left foot. I'd been dealing with it for three months, and uh, it was causing all kind of pain on me. And then all of a sudden, something happened down here uh, with my hip that went all the way down to my foot. I went to Therapy South for a couple times. It was hard to walk at times and uh, really painful, but he helped me with that. And then because my gait was different, I started getting shin splints, and those are not fun. That was like two and a half weeks before. So I'm all geared up. I said, between the Achilles, the shin splints, the hip, I'm going to be in bad shape. Guess what? No problem. Got to mile 18, hamstring uh, on the right leg. Started cramping up. Any of y'all watch the Carry On Johnson or Cam Pentway when they were running at Auburn? They're running, all of a sudden they go, like this? <laughs> that was me. I went, oh, no. And I said, I'm Carry On Johnson. I said, I said, what's happening? And so you kind of walk a little bit, and then you start running a bit, and all of a sudden it cramped up. And then I go a couple miles, and I do it. And all of a sudden, around mile 24, it started doing it again. I said, I am not going to walk the last two miles of this thing. And just by the act of God, because it's funny, Janice sent me a text. I read all her texts. And at the exact mile where I was cramping back there, she said, I'm praying for you right now. I said, well, your prayer is what got me through it. Because it didn't cramp up after that, made it to the finish. And the very last thing is this, don't just read about or wish about, just do it. Don't just read about these things. Don't wish you could do it. Just do it, okay? Step out of your comfort zone and do something that you never thought you'd do. It doesn't have to be running a marathon. It could be just anything. And you read about these things, and wouldn't that be cool? You wish about them, and you think that would be cool. Let me give you a verse to walk out with, and that's in Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12 is like every runner likes to take a look at this because in verses 1 through 3 it says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, you just look at that. When you look at that, that first verse there, it's a picture of like in a... Um, in an arena and you're running this race of life and, and people are looking at you, the saints from above. And it says, when you run this race, get rid of all those encumbrances. Get rid of those sins that are holding you down. Get rid of those, those bad attitudes and the other things that you have. So just remove those things so that you can run that race and try to run that race and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us because God has set a race before every one of us. And he says, this is the race I want you to run. But the reason you do that is because of the next verse. And it says, and we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Uh, you, uh, you heard Ethan talk about that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We celebrate his birth. But then he lived those 33 years on earth. And it says he endured the cross. He went to the cross to pay for our sins. And he disregarded the shame and the pain and everything that took place with that. And then God raised him from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he is in a place of honor beside God's throne. And it's his desire to enter into the life of every person here. And for every person here to have their sins forgiven and to have the power of Christ to live in you and then to run that race of life. And so I encourage you during this Christmas season that you would take a look at that and consider that, that this baby that we celebrate is also the Son of God that died for our sins, rose from the dead, and gives us life everlasting. And I hope that will be a part of your Christmas. And I'm just going to say one last thing, two last things. Number one, you've got some handouts on your table. Uh, we have an amazing presentation this Sunday at 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Hope you come to either one of those hours. It will blow you away. And then watch the out for delivery and you see the times we've got there. Okay? Y'all have a great Christmas and we'll see you next year. Thank y'all very much.